Tonight, I'd like to explore another area of experience, one that we've been talking about uh, a lot, and yet perhaps not talking about in terms of investigating, and that is investigating mindfulness itself. So it can be, I think, interesting to explore and um, get curious about the comings and goings of mindfulness. We're here practicing mindfulness, and um, you know, sometimes we, in doing a mindfulness practice, get a little bit identified with the mindfulness. It's something as being something that we're doing, and we don't necessarily think about it as something to investigate. When does mindfulness arise? How does mindfulness arise? Where does mindfulness get lost? So investigating it as a phenomenon can help us to mm, loosen some of that attachment we have to the doing of mindfulness. There's a lot to learn in this exploration, a lot to learn about how our minds get caught, how our minds do what they do. And so really, uh, I like to encourage a a sense of investigation and curiosity rather than judgment. In looking at the coming and going of mindfulness, we can get judgmental about our practice. It's like, you know, aren't I supposed to be doing the mindfulness? But we can investigate, actually investigate this coming and going. So one thing I want to just say here, kind of at the beginning of the talk, is that I'm going to use the terms mindfulness and awareness kind of synonymously in this talk. Um, we, we all, I think, as teachers, use the word awareness somewhat loosely and perhaps differently. So I just wanted to clarify that from the outset of this talk, that that's how I will be using the term during this talk. So the first thing I'd like to explore is recognizing mindfulness itself, recognizing what it is, how it feels. There's two, uh, the, the Abhidhamma talks about two ways mindfulness happens for us. And they're called prompted mindfulness and unprompted mindfulness. The prompted mindfulness is what we typically think that we're doing, what we're typically engaged in in our mindfulness practice. Prompted mindfulness is when mindfulness is present, encouraging more mindfulness. We we are mindful, and in being mindful, we can encourage, be aware, pay attention. And so that's prompted mindfulness. The recognition of the experience of mindfulness itself, in my own exploration of this, I found coming in the exploration of what's called unprompted mindfulness, which is the arising of mindfulness, the re-arising, the spontaneous re-arising of mindfulness, which we're all really familiar with. We've been watching this for two weeks now. Mindfulness comes back. It comes back spontaneously, and typically what we do in that moment is 
um, we start doing something with what we have become aware of, at least in our, especially in our daily lives. This moment, uh, these moments of unprompted mindfulness actually happen to us a lot more than we are aware, a lot more than we realize. This moment of mindfulness returning, of the recognition of what's happening in the present moment, being aware of what's happening in the present moment, that returns actually quite a lot. But often what happens in that moment is that we get attached to or identified with or kind of stuck to the thing that we've become aware of and we start doing something with it or thinking about it or trying to figure out what we're supposed to do about that. And so we rarely actually notice that mindfulness has returned, that this faculty of mindfulness has arisen. We're more attuned to recognizing what mindfulness has become aware of and then often from that getting lost. So cultivating, actually cultivating this recognition of mindfulness, cultivating this recognition of this spontaneous arising of mindfulness, I found to be a very uh, helpful tool for getting familiar with what mindfulness feels like, what the experience of mindfulness is. Partly because there's some contrast in that moment of mindfulness coming back. There's a little bit of contrast in what the mind feels like now when it's present, aware, connected with experience, and what it felt like a few moments ago when it was not connected with experience, not aware. And so in that moment of mindfulness arising, there's a kind of a, an opportunity for us to, to begin to clearly notice the distinction between what it's like to be mindful and what it's like to not be mindful. There's kind of a lingering, there can be kind of a lingering memory of the flavor of the mind lost in thought, confused, spinning in that moment that mindfulness returns. And so, for me, this, when I realized this, that this was a great place to begin to get familiar with what the distinction is between being mindful and not mindful, I stopped judging myself for my wandering mind. It's like, oh great, you know, if my mind wanders a hundred times in a sitting, that gives me a hundred opportunities to recognize what it's like to be mindful. So it's a, it's a, it's a great kind of hmm, tool to shift our perspective about waking up into mindfulness again. Curiosity, what's it like? What's it like to now be aware? Now, I would encourage this not to be a big project, um, but just kind of Hmm. Just in a, in, a, in a light way, seeing if you can take some curiosity, some interest in that experience of awareness. What is it like to be aware? We can also explore this when we are mindful. I found that moment of awakening of waking up to be a beautiful place to explore it. And we can also explore it 
when we're already aware, when, we're, when we are already mindful. Here, in this place, the question or uh, recognition, awareness is here. I'm aware. Awareness is present. There is awareness present. Now, we may not be able to consciously tap into what that experience is, but we know it at some intuitive level. Right now, do you know that you're aware? Usually, the answer is yes. Now, what we are experiencing is another question. You know, to, to the familiarity with that experience as distinct from what we are aware of, that's part of this exploration. How do we begin to um, recognize awareness itself as distinct from what we are aware of? Mostly in our early practice, we are more familiar with noticing what we are aware of and less familiar with noticing the awareness itself. And so this is really the whole subject of the talk today. So back to this moment of waking up. One of the beautiful things about that moment of unprompted mindfulness, when we can begin to tap into that arising, we see that it is a moment of awareness that didn't take any effort. It just happened. It begins to give us the sense of a flavor of what it might mean to have that relaxed, non-striving mindfulness. That moment when mindfulness arises. Did you do that? Did you have to do anything to make that happen? It happens spontaneously. So appreciating the quality in this moment of arising of awareness itself and also the effortless nature of it. The effortless nature of it, the spontaneous arising of it, is actually a pointer to the not-self nature of our experience. Mindfulness arises. Did you do that? It happened. It happened as a result of conditions. Causes and conditions came together for mindfulness to re-arise. There was no one who said, I'm going to be mindful now. It just happened. So again, this exploration of the coming and going of mindfulness begins to point us to this truth of not-self. So in that moment of recognizing mindfulness returning, first of all, just in a light way, recognize that you're now aware. Notice what's obvious. Wake up into what is already happening. There's no need to come back to anything because the mind is already present. Now, 
depending on what practice you're doing, what tools you're working with, you may, in that moment after you've become aware and recognized awareness and noticed what you are aware of in that moment, because awareness comes with an object. There's always the arising of awareness with something that it is aware of. So waking up to what's already happening. And then, if you're practicing concentration, because awareness is back, you have the choice. You, you can now choose. And this is where prompted awareness comes in. We choose what to pay attention to. Or we choose to simply settle back and allow the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. So this side of exploring awareness, noticing what it feels like to be aware. What does it feel like to be aware? And again, one of my teachers, Sayadaw Utejaniya, says, don't look too hard for it. You know, if you know that you're aware, that's actually enough. Over time, the feeling of awareness or the experience of awareness, the experience of what it means to be aware, becomes more of a felt sense or a, it becomes more clear. But initially, at least for me, initially it was not obvious. It's actually, in some ways, such a familiar experience. Being aware is such a familiar experience that it's like you know the air we breathe. We don't really notice it. It's the water we're swimming in. The fish swimming in water doesn't really know it's in water. The experience of awareness, of recognizing awareness, is kind of like that. It's so close to us that we, uh, it's, not, it's not obvious, even though we know, even though we know that we're aware. So it's kind of a, almost a koan for us to have that curiosity. What is awareness? What is this experience of awareness? So the next side of this that I'd like to explore is how do we lose awareness? What, what, where and how do we lose awareness? Again, the comings and goings of mindfulness teach us a lot about our minds and inform us, give us some uh, support for our mindfulness practice. This side of exploring where we lose mindfulness really supports this practice of continuity. Because as we um, get familiar with where we lose awareness, where awareness wanders out, where mindfulness wanders out the the door into thought, as we get familiar with those places, those activities, those mind states, those times that mindfulness leaves, we can um, add a little bit of interest to those times and perhaps begin to watch the mind lose interest, begin to hmm, leave the object that it's noticing. This isn't intended to, uh, this exploration of noticing where the the mind wanders out, isn't intended to um, uh, 
be a judgment. It's more, again, curiosity to learn about our minds. Now again, you know, anatta, not self. We are actually, moment by moment, all day long, we are um, presented with evidence for this truth of not-self. And we just don't recognize it. The, uh, one of the ways the Buddha talked about not-self in the uh, famous discourse on the characteristic of not-self, he talked about our mind and body processes not being under our control as being evidence for not-self. He talked about this in respect to the five aggregates that Guy spoke about the other day. Body is out of our control. Body is not self. Feelings are not self. Perceptions are not self. Mental formations are not self. Consciousness is not self. And um, mindfulness, the factor of mindfulness is a mental formation. It is something, it is an arising like concentration, like anger, like confusion, like all the various states of mind. It is a mental formation. It is created by causes and conditions and has some intentionality to it. And of mental formations, along with all the other aggregates, the Buddha says, volitional formations are non-self. For if volitional formations were self, volitional formations would not lead to affliction. And it would be possible to determine of mental formations. Let my mental formations be thus. Let my mental formations not be thus. Would you do that if you could? May my mind be filled with bliss. Let my mind be filled with bliss. Boom, the mind is filled with bliss. May mindfulness be perfectly continuous. Boom, mindfulness is perfectly continuous. Would you do that? (laughs) Can we do that? No. (laughs) And as the Buddha says, because volitional formations is non-self, are non-self, Volitional formations lead to affliction, and it is not possible to determine a volitional formations. Let my volitional formations be thus. Let my volitional formations not be thus. So, mindfulness leaves. If we had control over mindfulness, if, we, if mindfulness were, were under control of self, there were a self that could control it. We would do that. So this fact that the mind wanders out, you know, let's not judge it. Let's, let's explore it. Let's look at this phenomenon of mindfulness leaving. So we might lose awareness in specific activities in our day, washing dishes, going into our rooms, you know, kind of investigate for yourself. What are the times that seem to be the mindfulness black holes? Doing your yogi job, maybe taking a walk on the loop, 
where, what are the activities that you tend to lose mindfulness in? Now, I'm not suggesting, actually, that you stop doing those activities. You know, often we can't. I mean, it's like we lose mindfulness going into our dorm rooms. That seems to be a place where it's kind of like, oh, the door's closed. I can do anything I want to. I don't have to be mindful here. But we have to go into our rooms to go to bed, to get our things, whatever. So this is not saying to not engage in the activities where we lose mindfulness, but to be curious about the process by which we lose mindfulness. So when we become aware that we're losing mindfulness in certain activities, one of my teachers says, it's like we can add a little salt to that activity. Be curious. Be interested in how does it happen that mindfulness gets lost when I go into my room? How does it happen that mindfulness gets lost when I do my yogi job? Be curious about that. At one point on a retreat, I began to realize that I got lost going into the bathroom. You know? and, and at some point I realized that one of the key places I was getting lost was staring at myself in the mirror. I would wake up staring at myself in the mirror and be like, wow. <laughs> didn't notice that I was, you know, didn't notice that that was kind of in the field. I clearly was just waking up and just staring at myself in the mirror. So I began to get um, curious about this just to explore what is happening that I'm not able to be present in the bathroom. And so I started exploring this, and it's kind of like I'd go into the bathroom and be like, okay, probably going to lose awareness here. Let's see if I can catch it this time. And, you know, it was a long time. This was on a month-long retreat. It's like, ah, lost it again. I'd wake up staring at myself, and I didn't didn't catch it. Ah. Next time, maybe. So rather than beating myself up about it, it was more like, oh, well, I'll just keep trying. You know, I'll just try next time. And at some point, um, when I was washing my hands, I noticed the intention to look up. Guy was talking about intention the other day, and you know, just being you know more continuously mindful while washing my hands, I noticed the intention to look up. It was kind of a habit to look at myself in the mirror while I was washing my hands. You know, it wasn't like some deep emotional, like, you know, thing of needing to be mirrored or see myself or, you know, it was, it was simply a habit of mind. The uh, curiosity began to reveal that habit and to it began to kind of allow me to be conscious in a place where I had habitually gotten lost because I got interested, because I got curious about it. We also might lose awareness in states of body, with states of body, you know, pain, or even, you know, really pleasant physical sensations which can come um, particularly as the mind gets more concentrated, we can the, that can be a doorway out of which the mind wanders. So again, investigating this, investigating, curious about it. I'll tell a, a, a story around my own um, exploration of this around pain, getting lost in pain. One of the ways, one of the many ways that uh, I got lost in pain. I found several different strategies my mind used to avoid pain by 
getting lost in various other states. And one of the states that my mind got lost in um, when there was pain was singing. I would wake up seeing that I was singing a song in my head. And so uh, I just began exploring this. Rather than like trying to double down to be with the uh, pain to try to avoid the singing, I got curious. It's kind of like settle back. Okay, I see that the mind is kind of leaving from this place of pain. Can I get curious about how this happens? And in waking up into the singing, what I noticed as I woke up into the singing was that when the mind moved to singing, it lost some of its um, grip on the pain. And so I recognized actually that the singing was a strategy the mind had to let go of the pain. And this is something to be curious about with our own relationship to pain in particular. You know, the mind has strategies that it uses. It's, it, uh, you know, it, has, it has ways that it has figured out to kind of let go of pain or ignore pain or to uh, not have to deal with pain. Often we have that, uh, that, that capacity in our minds that it kind of just clicks into some other state, maybe spacing out or singing in this case. And what I noticed in that waking up is that the, the um, mind had lost its grip on the pain. And in the waking up and seeing that the mind had lost the grip, there were a few moments that I could experience the pain without being so tight around it. So that began to give the mind an education in the possibility, oh, it's actually possible to be with pain without like this tightening and squeezing and bearing down on. The mind would then you know, go into the gripping again. That was my habit around pain when it wasn't checked out to kind of bear down on it, squeeze into it, force the mind into it. And because I had that opportunity in waking up into the experience of singing and seeing that the mind had let go of that grip, getting the uh, sense or the experience of not being in the grip of pain while present for the pain, I could then begin to see the grip arise. Seeing that arising of the bearing down, the mind began to understand how that, how, how it, it was kind of involved in that gripping. And the gripping intensified the pain. It was very clear that that fastening to the pain intensified the pain the mind began to understand on its own, in effect, without my having to um, try to stop what the mind was doing, the mind began to understand when it grips down on pain, the pain is worse. And the mind began to learn how to not do that without using the strategy of singing. So it it began to be able to stay present for the pain without either the gripping happening or the ejecting into another state of mind. So again, curiosity. Curiosity about where we lose awareness and 
interest in exploring what's happening there. We might lose awareness in states of mind, boredom, confusion, thoughts of work, planning, fantasy. So here the, um, you know, often we, we notice what we have gotten lost in, almost in retrospect. Like in the description of uh, losing awareness in places, things I was doing, things, you know, in losing awareness in things that we're, we're doing. Often we notice after the fact, like in the bathroom, you know, it's like I, I noticed after the fact that I had, wow, you know, I was in the bathroom and just lost in thought. Likewise with, you know, states of mind, we may, we may um, wake up and realize, wow, you know, I've been gone for a while. The last thing I remember was that boredom was present. And so we may kind of know in the waking up, recognize, oh, okay, you know, I was, I was trying to hang out with boredom and that's where the mind got lost. So recognizing what we wake up into also can help us in that moment of waking up, that noticing we're aware and what we're aware of, in that moment of waking up. If we wake up into fantasy or boredom or confusion, the recognizing, just simple recognizing, oh, okay, I'm aware, this awareness is back, and the state of mind is confusion or boredom. The familiarity with the what we've become aware of there begins to help us to recognize um, begins to help us to recognize the state more hmm, more quickly. An example of this um, from my own practice around anger. It was, this was actually my very first meditation practice in my daily life. I, anger was kind of out of control in my mind, and I kind of vowed to myself, I'll wake up when anger happens. And just, you know, that commitment to, to recognize, because I had recognized anger was a big issue. I would just get lost in anger. And so that commitment to recognizing anger is present began to have an impact. You know, the, just that orientation. I want, to, I want to remember, I want to wake up when that mind state is happening. And I began to wake up in it. And I began to wake up. The first few times I woke up into it, it was a, a rage. I was in a rage. I could notice, yep, well, this is anger unpleasant. <laughs> and, you know, it was pretty early in my meditation practice. It was kind of like, what do I do with this? I have no idea. And um, at that point, it was kind of like, well, I don't know what to do with this. I guess I go back to work. And in retrospect, I saw that actually just that simple recognition gave me some space. It allowed me to go back to work. Before I had been kind of frozen at my keyboard, I was working on the computer and, you know, frozen, not able to do anything. The recognition, oh, anger, this is anger, this is rage, allowed me to go back to work. But this practice, over the course of several months, 
I began to notice that the mindfulness woke up into the pattern of anger earlier and earlier and earlier in the process. And so there was much, much more of a kind of a normal anger arising, much less challenging to be with the more I practiced with this. And then, you know, really beginning to be able to see the arising of anger. Huge uh, insights into the, uh, the mind that kind of actually wanted to get angry. That was, that was a, uh, an eye-opening thing to see a thought arise in my mind and the mind, say, you know, kind of the inclination of the mind to jump on that thought and think more thoughts in order to get angry. And in that moment of seeing that, having spent all of those months paying attention to anger arising, being present for anger in the, in the moment, having spent all of that time paying attention to anger, the mind knew deeply that anger was suffering. Anger was dukkha. And so when the mind saw itself headed towards anger, when the, when the mind realized it was headed in that direction, the mind just simply said, I don't think so. You know, that way lies suffering. Let's not do that. And I didn't have to do that, actually. That happened because of the awareness. Wisdom made that choice. Wisdom made the choice to not follow that intention to jump on that thought and think more thoughts to get angry. So this is the power of being curious about where we get lost. Now also in terms of where we get lost in states of mind, there's sometimes, and we've talked about this, so I'll just drop this in um, as to kind of complete this, this area. Um, there are times when we get lost in um, certain states of mind where the state of mind has like got a gravitational pull on us. It's like somebody used the word quicksand. Somebody else uses the you know, I, often people use the word going down the rabbit hole, you know, of that mind state. It's like there's no traction for mindfulness. And so that's another way we get lost, that mindfulness gets lost. And it's really helpful to know for yourself when you're entering that gravitational pull, like the black hole of that, uh, that state of mind. You know, the, the black hole, the, the, the notion of a black hole is that, you know, when light gets to a certain closeness to that gravitational pull, pull light will just not, it won't be possible for light to escape. So the, uh, it's kind of like that with certain mind states that if we try to bring mindfulness to them, it's like the mindfulness just gets sucked into the black hole. So um, uh, recognizing that, recognizing the, the rabbit hole, the quicksand of the state of mind, knowing when it's appropriate and uh, helpful to say not now. You know, just not even try to be mindful of that. Rec- I, I, you know, I, with, with myself, I would kind of like bow to that state of mind. I say, I see you. I see you, and I, I can't be mindful of you right now. 
I'll be mindful of you when my mindfulness is stronger, but you know, you do your thing and I'm just going to pay attention to my feet right now. So, you know, just to redirect the attention rather than get sucked into that gravitational pull. Another very interesting place that we lose awareness, and I think Carol mentioned this the other night a little bit, is as practice deepens, when the mind begins to get more stable, and and there's a kind of a cycle that happens. I'm I'm pretty sure Carol talked about this, this cycle that happens on retreat, that um, we have a period of time where the mindfulness seems pretty stable and clear, and then suddenly it's like, you know, it's crazy. There's a kind of a purity, purification cycle that can happen. That after a period of time of having a, a kind of a more continuous mindfulness, the mind being in a more open state, sometimes what happens is that something that's been kind of uh, repressed or pushed down by the normal habits and structures of our mind, it's kind of like that thing goes, oh good, there's space, (laughs) let me out. (laughs) And, you know, anger erupts or confusion erupts or whatever. So there's that possibility that um, as the mind settles, we go through these purity purification cycles. Another way this happens as the mind settles. Another way that the mind kind of gets lost as it settles. And this um, happens, I think, more, at least when I began recognizing it as a pattern, I saw it actually happen to me more than I uh, had realized. And that is when I've had a period of time when the mindfulness is pretty stable, and then suddenly I start to notice a lot of wandering mind, I get interested in what's happening. You know, the, the, the mindfulness, what, what seems to happen sometimes with um, the settling of the mind and the continuity of mindfulness is that as the mindfulness becomes more continuous, the mindfulness begins to kind of gravitate, potentially gravitate towards somewhat more subtle experience. And with our usual agendas that we have of, you know, okay, I'm paying attention to this or, you know, noticing this aspect of my experience, um, sometimes we don't notice that the mindfulness is actually attuning to a kind of subtler level of experience. And in not noticing that, that's a doorway for the mind to start wandering. So an example of this in my, um, in my practice, from my practice. I was sitting the three-month course, and it had, the, the awareness had gotten pretty settled, pretty stable, could be pretty clear with the breathing, pretty much for a sitting. It was just right there. And then one morning I sat down and it was like the mind was just all over the place. It's like, wow, what happened to my mindfulness? I had enough, um, developed enough curiosity to rather than doing that kind of doubling down, I'm going to just stay with the breath kind of thing, 
I got curious about where the mind was leaving, where the mind was wandering. And what I discovered was that within one or two breaths, when I actually got much more attentive to what the mindfulness was connecting with, as I observed the breath, observed the the in-breath and the out-breath, within the space of one or two breaths, the sensations of breath almost disappeared. And the mind wandered. That was where the mind was wandering. The sensations were getting so subtle that the mindfulness wasn't quite sure of how to meet it, or I wasn't quite sure of how to meet it with mindfulness. One time this was happening on a retreat in Burma, and um, you know, one, one thing I had decided to, on that retreat, because uh, I, I wasn't as skilled or as familiar with this practice, what I had decided to do on that retreat was to turn my attention to something more obvious, some more obvious experience in my, in my um, you know, the sensations of my butt or something, you know, rather than seeing if I could be with the, the subtle experience. And what uh, I reported this to Upandita, and I said, you know, the, the, the sensations of the breath are getting so subtle that I turned my attention to something more obvious. And he said, you don't have to do that. He said, just notice the subtle breath. I was like, oh, that's possible. <laughs> and I began playing with that, almost using that as, as my note. Subtle breath is happening. Subtle breath is happening. And that allowed the mindfulness to begin to connect with the subtler level of experience. The mind can also lose awareness in places or mind states that we think it's not possible to be mindful of. So, sleepiness, for example, dullness of mind, spacing out. I mean, spacing out seems to be the quintessential non-mindful activity, right? How would it be possible to be mindful of spacing out? One day, I was noticing my mind spacing out over breakfast. And rather than having, well, at first, actually, it was kind of like, oh, spacing out, come back. You know, eating breakfast, and it's like, pay attention to the breakfast, lifting, you know, tasting, chewing, and the mind would space out. Okay, come back. You know, kind of this bringing back, bringing back, bringing back. This notion of can't be can't be mindful while spacing out. So bring it back to what you can be mindful of. At some point, I began to just like get curious about this. Where is the mind leaving breakfast? You know, where is it leaving the experience of eating breakfast? And what I experienced was that um, I was paying attention to the uh, sensations of eating, and then I felt like this letting go happen from the uh, sensations of eating. It was kind of like what it felt like was that the mind, the mind kind of went and just hung out up here somewhere, you know, up or, uh, to the above and to the... Uh, right of my head, you know, just kind of zzz in a zzzy, zoned out experience. And to my surprise, it's kind of like I could be mindful of that. And um, actually, what I recognized in that moment of being mindful of that spacing out was that the mind needed rest, it was tired, and it was taking its rest. 
whether I had anything to say about it or not. It was going to take its rest. And when I allowed the mindfulness of it, I noticed it lasted for, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute. And then clarity of um, other experience began to arise. Sometimes when the mind is leaving the present moment, it's letting go. What I understood kind of in that uh, experience was to that I had been kind of being a little harsh with stay here, stay here, stay here. The mind actually needed a rest. And I could allow it to do that mindfully. It actually, I think, allowed it to rest more deeply because of the mindfulness. So this points to beginning to recognize when mindfulness lets go of an object. On another retreat, I was exploring the breath, staying with the breath, and I began to get very attuned to the quality of the mindfulness of the breath. I could see the mindfulness of the breath pretty clearly, and I began to see the mind begin to lose a little bit of interest in the breath, and Kind of like, this is the awareness and this is the breath. <laughs> and so there, the, the, the mindfulness and the breath were, were, were touching. They were right near each other. And then I began to get the sense of what it meant for the mindfulness to kind of lose a little interest, go into that not-so-mindful-of-the-breath experience. And initially, I was recognizing that and oh, coming back to the breath. And then it would leave the breath. And it would oh, come back and leave and come back. At some point I got curious because I realized at some point that I was aware while the mind was leaving the breath. I was like, well, where does it want to go? Let's see. Let's see where it wants to go. And that was the beginning of a deepening into a whole different uh, domain of experience. The mind moved into a very spacious, settled, quiet place a place I hadn't actually touched into before. So curiosity around mindfulness leaving the object. Sometimes it takes us deeper. Sometimes it educates us in how our mind has strategies to deal with things like pain. In any case, making this kind of exploration begins to reveal new things about the mind. This, to me, also points to this last piece I was talking about, also points to the, um, the way we sometimes think that the mind has to be in a particular state in order to meditate. And I think this comes with some familiarity around um, what it feels like, particularly when it's clear. You know, when, when mindfulness is really clear and it's like we know just exactly moment by moment what's happening. 
That happens from time to time. Maybe it happens for a few moments and maybe it happens for a little bit longer. But you know, we, we all enter into that place where it's like, wow, you know, that's that it's so clear. And we think that's what we're going for. We try to find that. And we may find ourselves trying to put ourselves in certain states of mind in order to construct that. I certainly found myself doing that. On one retreat, I was um, practicing in Burma, and I was uh, doing walking meditation. And as I ended my walking meditation, I was moving to the dorm where I was doing most of my meditation in my room. And as I approached my dorm, I found myself trying to put my mind into a the meditative state, and um, seeing that, actually watching the mind do that, it's like, well, wait a minute, what's wrong with this state? You know, awareness is present. Does it need to be any other way? And what I recognized somewhat later, after feeling that happen a few times, that kind of movement of what did I think the meditative state was, it was a subtle repression of thought moving into a state where there was a kind of a, a holding thought at bay. So there's no need to actually put yourself into a certain state to meditate. If you are aware, meditation can unfold. Checking in, back to that early part of the talk, can you recognize that you're aware? Am I aware? And what am I aware of? If I find myself at this point trying to change the state of my mind in order to meditate, I ask myself if it's necessary. It may be. It's, there are times when um, the mind needs a little bit more of a container, you know, more of a sense of directing the attention, choosing the object, being with the breath, stabilizing the attention. There are times when that's necessary. Other times, check in to see awareness is present. What is awareness aware of? It may be pointing to something new or unfamiliar. So try mindfulness first before assuming that you can't necessarily be mindful in a particular mind state. There are also different ways that the mind observes. Again, if we have some idea of it's supposed to be like this when... I'm mindful. We may miss the fact that there are actually quite a lot of different ways that the mind pays attention. So one distinction I'd like to point to that we've talked about a little bit is a distinction between mindfulness and attention. Attention is a factor of mind that is essentially, you know, choosing an object or connecting with an object, choosing an object, let's say. Attention chooses what to pay attention to. 
And attention is an interesting factor of mind in that it is both amenable to agency of conscious choice around what we pay attention to. So we can say, I'm going to pay attention to the breath right now. We can choose where to direct attention. But attention also, attention's actually happening in every moment, whether we're choosing it or not. If we're not consciously choosing it, generally our conditioning is choosing what attention is landing on. And this is the exploration of open awareness. What is the mind choosing to pay attention to? So sometimes people have the, um, um, the sense, before they get familiar with open awareness, the sense that if I'm not choosing an object, I'm not meditating. So mindfulness, we can be mindful of experience when we're directing attention or when we are allowing the attention to be chosen, what we attend to to be chosen by the mind itself. So that's one difference in how we can pay attention. The mind can choose an object. We can, there can be a conscious engagement with choosing an object. Or the mind can be in a more open, uh, receptive space. In that open, receptive space, there are also different ways that the mind can pay attention. It can be broad and panoramic, kind of like a wide-angle lens. The, the visual field can be... Uh, uh, Either the visual field or the auditory field can be an interesting um, way into um, recognizing the different ways the mind can pay attention. We can, we can pay attention in the visual field just of like not focusing on anything, but just taking in a wide panorama. Likewise, in the auditory field, we can not kind of... Uh, land or settle down on any one sound, but just kind of take in the whole symphony of sound. So that broad awareness, taking in the breadth of experience, is one way that the mind can be clearly aware. Or the mind might kind of pick up on individual experience. It might notice this, and then that, and then that, and then that, in that open awareness. It, it might very clearly kind of, the attention clearly lands on a sound, uh, a body sensation, an emotion, a thought, a body sensation, a breath. And just very clearly, like popcorn almost, the mind picking up on individual experience. It might feel like the mind, the, the awareness is jumping from thing to thing. It might feel like it's flowing from experience to experience. So many different ways that it can feel, that, the, that the, the mindfulness, a clear mindfulness can function. And so to have any idea that it's supposed to feel like this may obscure the understanding of something new. And that is something I have really begun to appreciate. Sometimes um, the awareness feels like 
we're separate from the object. There's like a distance between the knowing, what the observing, and the thing observed. And, and, and it can be very clear that the mind is balanced and at ease in that time. Other times it feels like the awareness and the thing observed are just like right. It's like the awareness is rising up right into the middle of the experience. Both, in my experience, seem to have that quality of ease, relaxation, and I reported this to Sayadaw Utejani at one point. I said, I, I recognize that there are these different ways that the mind can feel at ease when observing. Sometimes it feels like there's a separation with the object. And sometimes it feels like the mindfulness is right in the middle of the object. And he, his response was, those are two different perspectives on the same experience. In one case, the awareness is actually highlighting the difference between the object and the knowing. In the other case, the awareness is highlighting the fact that they're happening together. So neither one is right, neither one is better. They are just simply different ways that the mindfulness can meet experience. Notice how it is. Notice how it is for you. That is my main hope from this exploration with you this evening, that you will get curious about your mind. Get curious about what it pays attention to, how it gets lost, what it feels like to be mindful. This exploration, um, I sometimes call this exploration, you know, your mind 101. You know, it's a get familiar with what your mind does. Rather than having some agenda for it to be doing something, What is it doing? And knowing the skillful means of when it's helpful to ground the attention. Choose an object. This exploration also opens us into a doorway of some of the fundamental processes of the mind. Of beginning to see how the mind does what it does. It starts to illuminate feeling, perception, consciousness, mental formation. It starts to illuminate the processes of the mind and supports our understanding of them as processes, not something I'm in control of, but something that can be known and understood. And that wisdom brings freedom. So let's sit for a moment. Thank you.